Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the late 1970s, a mysterious figure cast a shadow over the quaint town of Circleville, Ohio. This individual embarked on a campaign of terror reminiscent of an analog version of Gossip Girl, but with a far more sinister type of consequence that involved divorce, murder, and wrongful imprisonment. This is the mystery of the Circleville Letters. My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim, a true crime podcast. Warning, the following podcast contains graphic content and material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow is the day. The day. The day or the day. I don't even know. Either one. <laughs> yes. The answer is All of the yes. above. Well, um, yeah, tomorrow is the start of our what? I guess it would be our third annual. Halloween week. Yeah. Uh, dun, 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 which also means it is the return of Jacko. Jacko. So Jacko's going to be our MC tomorrow as we start the seven straight days of Wicked and Grim. I've actually sure missed Jacko. Jacko's pretty dope, so I'm I'm pretty stoked for the return too. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. That actually just just hearing his name made <clears throat> me even more excited. <laughs> Rightfully so. He instills not only fear but joy. <laughs> He's like a, a cryptid Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sort of sense. It does. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're pretty pumped. We've been preparing for that. Um we got lots going on, but we will be announcing what the week looks like tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow we'll be, uh, we'll be laying it out a little bit more for you so you can understand what's happening. We got some pretty cool stuff going on. Uh, one thing we we're actually doing this weekend was uh, a photo shoot though. Yeah. We will talk about that a little bit if that's cool. Of course. Yeah. Our whole weekend consisted of some, some spooky, spooky stuff. Yeah. Uh, so on Friday we did our photo shoot, our annual, I mean, everything is just an annual now, I guess. <laughs> um, And it was funny, actually, we were just planning to do photos with the dogs, like just pretty normal photos, I thought. And then, of course, Ben came up with an idea. And so we did the idea. What was it? Well, we involved our patrons in actually voting and figuring out what we should do. But the idea is that we are out on a picnic. We were enjoying just like, you know, a nice glass of wine. And then guess what? Up comes a zombie. Oh, literally my worst fear. Yeah. So the zombie bites one of us and the other person gets to kill the other person. Mm -hmm. If you want to see the result on who got to kill who and who got bitten, you got to check it on social media. So yeah, we'll be putting that up shortly. Yeah. So shout out to our patrons for helping us pick who got to be the survivor and who got to be killed and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. You guys are awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We've been doing a lot more posts and stuff on um, Patreon. It's fun. We are. Patreon's a fun place. And uh, before we forget, because we did forget last episode, um, we got to shout out some of our patrons who have signed up uh, this week and last week because we forgot to shout out those individuals. We remembered at the end of the show. At the end, but yeah, we said we would do it again at the beginning. Yeah. So to the individuals who have signed up and are joining us over on Patreon, we have Dione Sainty Day, Clay Swanson, Amy Haddon, Crystal Loreth, Anna, Jesse Harp, and Silji. They all signed up and are getting that epic, so sweet, behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. cool Patreon stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So- Thank you. If you guys want to sign up for Patreon, links down below. If not, you're here. That's cool. We appreciate that too. You're, you're supporting us in your own way. Totally. And that is amazing. So thank yep. you. We just appreciate all the support. We do. All. 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 Yes. 
shout out to Bridges because they offer a lot of support. We're also like <laughs> really missing something. What are we missing? Yep. Yeah, I know. Well, I was just at a, uh, <laughs> a, a meetup with some creators and, uh, and stuff like that. And I just had a couple. So I thought I might not this time, mm -hmm. but that also just sets up for us to open them up tomorrow. Oh yeah. We'll be like enjoying a beverage every, every day this week, probably. Oh. So <laughs> do you know what we should do? We should make a run to town tomorrow and get some stuff for margaritas for oh. starting off Halloween week. I would love that actually. Yeah. It's been a while since we had a good margarita. Okay. If you're listening tomorrow, you need to, if you're willing and wanting, join us with the margarita. So we're get, drinking margaritas tomorrow. Get prepped when you're listening to the episode with a nice margarita because we're going to have one too. All right. We've chatted enough. Mm -hmm. You ready for this one? Yeah. Without further ado, let's do it. It is the mystery of the Circleville letters, which I have never heard of before Me until neither. looking for a good case. And this one's kind of reminiscent of like that Watcher case. Okay, yeah. With a different twist in there. Okay. So it's like the Watcher, but the Watcher not. is creepy as shit. It is. Yeah. This one's just as creepy. Okay, awesome. Okay, so this story begins in 1976, uh, when the unsuspecting residents of, of course, Circleville, Ohio, found themselves targeted by a series of disturbing letters. They contain shocking, intimate details about their private lives with a particular focus on their sexual deviancies. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's terrifying. Like I said at the very beginning, it's very reminiscent of Gossip Girl because, yeah, it is. Oh, no. XOXO. I'm ashamed that I know that. XOXO? Gossip oh. Girl. Oh, Wow. <laughs> oh my god okay <laughs> people out there either losing their shit being like yes or they're cringing way too hard right now oh uh, i mean everyone well not everyone the majority of people would know that saying i think i only know it because you watched the shit out of that back in the day that was a good show i should watch it again <laughs> uh anyways we digress uh the letters all postmarked from columbus ohio arrived without any a turn address on them Okay. Which to me says that they're being hand delivered by whoever is putting them out there. Yeah. Cause I don't even know if you can, can you actually mail something without a return address? I'm not certain. Will it arrive? I'm not certain. And it I might know, be I'm different. Not either. Might be different in like, you know, countries or states or even townships. Who knows? Right. So. Yeah. But anyways, the town of Circleville had a modest population of around $14,000 people today. It's not a place for anyone to really easily hide with its small numbers. Uh, it's located approximately 25 miles south of Columbus. This town was home to, a manu to manufacturing companies, um, Ohio Christian University, and a particular water tower, which I thought was rather fascinating. Uh, this water tower is painted to look like a pumpkin. Really? Yeah. Oh, so cool. shout out to Circleville for their pumpkin water tower because that's oh, just I want dope. to see that. <laughs> Look it up. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I will. Um, but despite the small, despite the small size, uh, Circleville boasted a tight knit community uh, where neighborly intimacy was rather cherished. However, the Circleville letter writer exploited this exact intimacy, transforming everyone into a basically giant fearful bunch or small fearful, fearful bunch because it's a smaller town, uh, leaving the residents haunted by, you know, the unknown identity of who this person with this poison tipped pen is. The town was now overshadowed with this cloud of suspicion as residents anxiously speculated about who among them could be capable of such cruelty before it was all, you know, friendship and neighborly. Mm -hmm. And now it's cold. And who is it? Okay. Could it be you? So he's doing this to numerous people then. He is. It's not just because in the other one, it was just like one person. Really, Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. But we're going to get right back to the very beginning of it. And we're going to dive into where it started. Okay. And it all started during the summer of 1976 when Mary Gillespie, a local bus driver in Circleville, she one day in her mailbox found that she received an ominous letter postmarked from Columbus, as I mentioned before, bearing neither signature or a return address. She opened the letter and inside was a piece of paper with a strangely scrawled message that accused Mary of engaging in an affair with Gordon Massey, the superintendent of the West Falls School District. 
and the letter sternly warned her to terminate the alleged relationship. Oh, geez. The letter read this. Miss Gillespie, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about meeting him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and I know you have children. This is no joke. Please take this serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. And that was the letter. Okay. Well, was she actually having an affair? Well, despite the claims on the page, Mary denied any involvement with Massey. Okay. Um, Now, soon after Mary received the letter, her husband, Ron, found himself targeted as well with another ominous letter message arriving to him sort of thing. This time, like I said, directly to him, Mm -hmm. right? Not her. Um, And it had a couple inserts, some of them saying things like this. Mr. Gillespie, your wife is seeing Gordon Massey. You should catch them together and kill them both. Oh my gosh. He doesn't deserve to live. And the letter went on to demand that Ron expose the affair to the school board or face dire consequences himself. Wow. Yeah. So these are some some terrifying threats right out of the gate. And now the fact that Mary received this letter, she can't just, you know, just pretend this accusation is there and not existing. Her husband knows of this accusation now Mm -hmm. too. So she reassured her husband of her innocence, that there is no affair. And after the two were discussing it for some time, they made the decision to remain silent on the matter and basically hope that whoever this writer is, that they would just kind of move on, leave them alone and stop sort of thing. Okay. And I guess you can assume what happens next. That didn't happen. Yeah. They didn't stop. Okay. I'm, I was very much so assuming that. So. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having a case that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Right? Can you mean, oh, and then it just stops and they moved on and everyone yeah. was good. That's the case. We'll talk to you tomorrow on, on Halloween week. <laughs> no, that's definitely not what happens here. Um, within weeks, more threatening letters began arriving. This time warning Mary that unless she ended the alleged affair, the truth would be publicly exposed rather than just within the relationship. And this plunged the Gillespie family further into the nightmare of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And one of the letters they received wrote this. Gillespie, you've had two weeks and done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. Jeez, but like, what if she actually wasn't having the affair? That's true. Like, what is she supposed to do then? Just lie? I don't know. Yeah. My gosh. Well, with more letters arriving, Mary and Ron decided that it was time to confide in their family about the harassment. They turned to Karen, who was Ron's sister, and her husband, Paul. Um, So their last name was Fresher. Uh, Now, Paul was employed at a local beer plant, but had once worked as a prison guard. Now, Ron's background as a prison guard led them to believe that he might be able to offer some valuable insight, especially given his own past experiences, including surviving a horrific 30-hour ordeal as a hostage during a prison riot in in Ohio Penitentiary in August of 1968. So he's kind of got some experience dealing with some... Not so savory situation. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Like 30 hours, holy heck. Yeah, that's terrifying. So in their conversation, Mary revealed that she actually had a suspect in mind. She believed she might know who it could be. Oh, she had someone that she felt was an enemy. Exactly. She's got her eyes on the prize here. Mm -hmm. Now, this individual was a man by the name of David Longbury. He was a fellow bus driver who she had previously made or who had previously made unwanted advances towards her. Okay. And when she rejected him, he seemingly kind of harbored some resentment from it. Huh? Well, did she reject him because she was freaking married? Well, I'm assuming so. So why should there be any ill feelings there? I don't know. Huh? Okay. But it's, that's her assumption is that it's got to be this guy. David, right? You said? Yeah. Okay. And ever since then, it's kind of not been the same. So maybe he's like, you know, he's behind these letters, possibly seeking revenge for whatever rejection happened right. or, you know? Yeah. So they decided that to put an end to this torment, the brother-in-law, Paul, would confront David in a letter of his own. Okay. So fighting fire with fire sort yeah. of situation. 
So he wrote one making it explicitly clear that they were very well aware who he was and what he was doing, demanding that he stop the threats against both Mary and Ron. And in the wake of that letter being sent, miraculously, no new letters began appearing. It seemed that it all stopped. Oh my gosh. So then right there, they're like, yep, that was the guy. Pretty much. It seemed that the whole plan worked. However, the relief was short-lived because soon ominous signs of the letters began to appear. And I'm not really meaning really like spiritual or metaphorical signs. I mean, literal signs began appearing in the neighborhood, like signs on the side of the road. Oh, okay. I thought you meant just like more letters, but signs. literal signs, how he threatened to begin taking this public with posters, billboards, that sort of stuff. Oh, he did it. Signs in the public were being put out. Now, these signs began to appear around town, falsely claiming that Gordon Massey, the school superintendent, was involved romantically with the Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter, Tracy. Whoa, shit. I bet this Massey guy was also getting letters then. I'm thinking. Well, individuals do begin getting letters as we go on for sure. So I I don't doubt it. Okay, so just let me get this straight here. So the signs were saying that he was having an affair with like the daughter of who, it's kind of confusing because the letters were saying she was having an affair with him, but now the signs are saying that he's having an affair with the daughter. Yes. Right? Okay. He's basically saying that this woman has been sleeping with this man, even though they're both in relationships. Yes. And now these public signs are saying this man is also sleeping with this woman's daughter too. Okay. See, I'm it's surprising that's surprising to me because I thought the signs if anything were just going to kind of reveal them, but it's almost reveal it's revealing something new. Yeah, something hmm. much darker. Worse. Yeah. An affair is one thing. Now, that's good, don't get me wrong, but like we're an underage. Yeah, this yeah. is a whole new ball game here. And he works for the school just like the schools, right? Yep. So, so ah. So of course they're outraged, and Ron, in an effort to actually shield his daughter from this slander, would patrol the town early each morning and removing these signs that were popping up before Tracy could ever see them. Oh my gosh, what a good dad, hey? Yeah. So the harassment understandably fueled Ron's anger. Uh, Not only was it attacking him or Mary, but now their child was a target of this harassment. Papa Bear was coming out, eh? Oh, definitely. And you'll see here just how much Papa Bear was coming out because on August 19th, 1977, uh, a breaking point kind of came. A menacing phone call came through their home phone. Ron picked up and the stranger ominously described his surveillance of the Gillespie residence. He detailed knowledge about tr- about Ron's truck, saying, like, I know where you live. This is what you drive, sort of thing. And Ron was pissed. And abruptly, he hung up the phone, and he turned around, went to storm outside, and he said, I recognize the voice on the other end of this phone. Oh, he just, like, yelled that? Or what yeah. do you mean? He turned to his family. He's like, I, I recognize <gasps> that voice. Okay. Yeah. So in a fit of fury, he stormed out of the house, hopped into his truck, armed with a 22 caliber oh. revolver, intending to confront the individual that just called him. Tragically, Ron's life came to a sudden end only moments later. His truck veered off the road not far from their home, crashing into a tree, and Ron was found lifeless at the wheel. Are you shitting me? Strangely, investigators discovered that Ron's gun had discharged a single bullet before he died. Though gunshot residue was found on his hand, no bullet casing or evidence pointing towards what or whom he shot at could ever be located. Oh my gosh. Okay, so what... Okay, that's really confusing. So what I'm thinking, potentially, he he found this person like... Right by his home, maybe. Right? And then went to to shoot at them and then got in an accident himself and died? Like, are you kidding? It's possible. That's brutal. Yeah. And also I'm pissed because that sucks. Yep. Like, that's the worst. Not only that. He never said who the fuck it was. He never said who it fucking was. 
Oh my gosh. So who he recognized died with him. Yep. Yeah. That's so fucking sad too. Now adding to the mystery, Ron's blood alcohol content was measured at 0.6, which is twice the legal limit, indicating that he had been drinking quite a bit that night. So Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe and his team included Pickaway County authorities were unable to find concrete evidence suggesting any sort of foul play. With no definitive proof of the contrary, Sheriff Radcliffe concluded that Ron had tragically driven himself off the road and into a tree due to his intoxicated state. Ron's relatives found this conclusion really hard to accept because Ron was not known to be a heavy drinker, but the authorities remain unconvinced that anyone else was to blame, leaving the family just kind of sitting there asking what the fuck. Well, yeah, but I mean, I unless it was... It was tested and it like the labs made a mistake or something. Well, I don't think there was a mistake. There was that blood alcohol content in his body at the time, as far as I can find. Okay. Now, I wasn't able to find anything on anyone saying if he was even drinking that day or anything. But mind you, we are dealing with a situation where they are in high stress right now. Oh, yeah. So it is possible that even though he's not a heavy drinker, maybe he was having some drinks being so stressed out. Just trying to chill or whatever, enjoy his evening. Correct. Yeah. So there's a million different little tiny things at play in that situation. Hmm. However, that still does not explain his gun going off. Well, yeah, because you said there was gun residue on his hand, right? Yeah. He had gun residue on him. The bullet was discharged. They could not find the casing. They could not find where the bullet was shot towards. Hmm. Man, that would be so hard for the family just to move on from that. Yeah. With with having so many unanswered questions like that. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm thinking if he was chasing someone, he probably had the gun outside the window and fired, aka the casing on the ground, not inside the Mm -hmm. cab. If he did get in an accident and it's an accidental discharge inside the cab, that casing is going to be in the cab. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. But it was nowhere to be found. Yeah, so he was shooting at someone. And then, oh my goodness. I can't believe that that happened where he actually crashed and died. Right? Like that, that's like Hollywood writing. That's a soap opera right there. So, following Ron's death, the unsettling entire saga in Circleville took an even more strange turn. More residents began receiving letters implicating Sheriff Radcliffe in a cover up related to Ron's death and asserting that Mary and Gordon Massey, the superintendent, were responsible for it. Like Mary, his wife? Correct. Wow. That's what the letters were claiming. And I just have to say too, this is potentially, um, now this person who is writing all these freaking letters or whatever, is that's like manslaughter, is it not? It could potentially be that he like murdered someone now. I, I don't way, think so. I don't know. I Because it wouldn't, if it wasn't for him, Ron would not have been all fired up, drinking or whatever, going out in the night to try to freaking get this asshole. I don't know. I, don't I know think it, so. he'd never be charged of it, but I still think that he has, this person has blood on I don't his know. hands. I don't know. You stress me out and I drink because of you lots. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Just saying. I don't know. I think that there's blood on this guy's hands now. I I mean, if he was physically there and there was like a little car chase thing or something like that, that did happen, I think yes, of course. But I don't think harassment can be implicated into manslaughter, not at this degree. I don't think so. Well, yeah, like I'm saying it would never be in a charge or anything, but I still feel this person... Ron, Ron wouldn't have been doing any of this if it wasn't for the stuff. No, no. This person definitely played a, a part in Ron's death. But yes. Legally speaking, I don't think this is worth a manslaughter charge as far as, you know, courts. Le- yeah. I don't think that charge would go through. It should, though. It should. <laughs> now, some believe this cover-up thing may be true and actually point to the fact that Sheriff Radcliffe disclosed to Paul Ron's brother-in-law, that a person of interest had actually been questioned regarding the incident and 
apparently had passed a polygraph test. So what this is basically is the accident happened and the sheriff had disclosed that someone was interviewed. Oh, okay. A person of interest was interviewed, mm-hmm. passed a polygraph. So basically, if there was a person of interest, then why did they declare an accident if there's oh, a person yeah. of interest? That doesn't make any sense. Right? So, and this person of interest is a proven thing. This is not some hearsay situation. Sheriff Radcliffe had a person of interest. Okay, but maybe just for the letters or the harassment. Yeah, I, I guess actually that's a point potentially. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Anyways, though, the whole Circleville letters continue to persist, targeting Mary and Gordon, of course. Uh, the letters continued in their cruel taunts, claiming, quote, everyone knows what you've done. If you don't believe us, just make them mad and find out for yourself. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Huh. Poor Mary. She's still having to deal with this shit and she has lost her husband. Correct. It just keeps going. Mm-hmm. So a missed... All this whole drama, Mary's sister-in-law, Karen Fresher, was going through a divorce with Paul, um, which prompted Mary to offer her a place to stay over at her place now. Mm-hmm. And a surpri- surprising revelation, Mary admitted to her about actually having the affair with Massey. Really? Although she claims a relationship had allegedly started after the letters began. Which I oh, find complete man. fucking bullshit. Are you serious? You're not going to get publicly shamed for a fucking affair and then decide. And then do well, it. Well, okay, I might as well fucking do it now. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Fuck off. Dang. Now I feel even worse for um, Ron. Ron. Yeah. Gosh. Now on February 7th, 1983, an even more strange turn occurred along Mary's bus route while she was working. Now, as Mary was completing her school bus route in Circleville, she encountered a handwritten sign, not unlike many she's seen before, at the intersection of Scotio Darby Road and Five Points Pike. The sign contained a absolutely vile remark about a sexual engagement between her daughter, Tracy, and, of course, Massey. Now, this had been occurring now for approximately seven years at this point. Oh, what? Correct. If you've been following the timeline and the dates, we were at about seven years that these letters and stuff have been going. So Mary was rather undeterred at this discovery, really. She's kind of used to it, right? Seen it, been there, done that. So she parked her bus and approached the sign. This time, unbeknownst to Mary, though, the perpetrator had devised a trap on this sign. You see, the sign was rigged with a 25 caliber handgun positioned to fire directly where she was standing once she tore down the oh. sign in anger. Oh my gosh. In an act of remarkable composure, however, Mary didn't tear down the sign. She simply just took it down calmly. She took down the whole rig setup, not in haste. She brought it onto her bus without triggering the gun. So she probably didn't even know that she there was a gun. She didn't even know. Once she later inspected a little bit closer that evening, she discovered a small container on the post, which then revealed the firearm hidden inside, which was pointing directly where she was standing. Oh my gosh. So if she were to yank that sign, it would have pulled a cable and fired the gun where she was standing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that definitely would have been murder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So law enforcement launched an intensive investigation to trace down the ownership of the firearm. And surprisingly, this actually provided a breakthrough in the case, offering a very crucial lead that 
could potentially unmask the person responsible for the years of torment and threats. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation managed to recover a partial serial number from the booby-trapped pistol. Someone had attempted to remove the the, the numbers by filing them away, but there was just enough still left oh, over geez. to get an identification. The firearm was traced back to Paul Freshure. <gasps> the brother-in-law? Correct. What the shit? Like he was the one that, wasn't he the one that wrote the letter? Yes. To the other freaking, I don't know, was it David or something? Correct. What? Yeah, Paul is um Ron's sister's husband. So Yeah, ex-husband. Yeah, ex, yeah. yeah. So it was Karen Freshure and now it's Karen Sue. But yes, Paul, that very same Paul. Now Karen, as I mentioned earlier, was going through a divorce with Paul. And when she was questioned about Paul, she actually disclosed to the police that her husband had indeed been writing threatening letters, and she believed he was a Circleville letter writer. She claimed that she found several hidden letters throughout their home while together. And she didn't disclose any of this to her sister? Correct, which I find suspicious. Yeah. Paul adamantly denied any involvement in writing the letters, although he admitted to being the owner and purchasing of that gun. Now I'm thinking it's her, the sister almost, but sorry, keep going. Well, Paul claimed it was stolen weeks before the incident. Oh, yeah. It's always was just <laughs> stolen. Very convenient, in <laughs> fact. Yeah. Despite his denial, a polygraph test indicated deception. But we do know polygraph tests can not always be definitive. Oh, I would fail one of those tests for sure. Oh, so would I. hundred percent. Definitely. A police officer pulls me over just like in a speed trap or whatever, you know, like just a roadblock going through. And you're sweating. <laughs> and I'm just like, is there a brick of cocaine in the back of my vehicle? Like, I don't even do drugs. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm just like panicked about like, am I like harboring something? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. Someone out there has got to sympathize with that. no i totally get that okay. i totally okay, get it God. i get it for glad sure. i'm not alone yeah that's yeah no i would be sweating like sweating away there would be no way that i would pass yeah well paul didn't pass and i'm pretty sure paul would be sweating right about now because he was actually quickly arrested um Ooh. yeah and throughout the investigation and subsequent trial uh the motive behind these threats and letters especially to his you know in-laws remained a part of the puzzle that no one was able to really ever seem to put together. Paul was, of course, questioned on it, why he did all these things, but he stood strong in his claim of innocence. But the evidence against Paul was just too overwhelming. Paul would eventually get bail, and he was, vol he voluntarily, ugh, I can't talk, sorry. He voluntarily, there okay, we go. There you go. Admitted himself to a mental health center at Riverside Hospital. Now, some say possibly in an attempt to persuade or, yeah, to, to get a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, mm -hmm. saying like, hey, look, you know, I'm in a, uh, a mental facility sort of thing. Hey, clearly there's something going on, right? Because he did have a, a trial coming up. Now, regardless of that, as the investigation continues, continued, handwriting analysis would play a pivotal role in this case. Samples from Paul's employment records would be deemed a match for 391 of the individual letters, not like a, a page letter, but like the A, letter oh, A, letter okay. C, like, you know, individual letters and 300, or sorry, 103 postcards that was sent to the Gillespie residents and others. Oh, seriously, a match. Correct. See, I'm, I was really thinking it wasn't him. Just sitting here listening to you. I'm like, it's not him. You might still want to hold on to that thought. Because I really am thinking that, no, like, no. You might want to still hold on to that thought. Okay, I'm sticking to it then. Paul claimed, though, that the match only occurred not through records of employment, but only because Sheriff Radcliffe had asked him to mimic the offending letters for investigation and comparison purposes. And that's where they got the match. So what he's saying is yeah. the officer told me to copy the letter to see if 
what my version of it would look like in comparison. And then they took that and matched it. The shit? That's what Paul is claiming. I couldn't find if that was a factual claim or not. However, Paul was indicted by a grand jury on March of 1983 and faced trial in October of the same year. The trial lasted just one week, with the jury deliberating for a mere two and a half hours before rendering a guilty verdict. Oh, jeez. Paul was convicted convicted of attempted murder for using the firearm in the potential yeah. harm of Mary Gillespie, although he was not formally charged with writing the letters, 39 of which letters were entered into evidence during the trial. So officially in the court documents, he was never charged or connected to being the writer. However, he was connected for using the firearm in attempted murder. Okay, because it was his gun. Correct. Okay. Now, Judge William Amner sentenced Paul to 7 to 25 years in prison with an additional three years for controlling a firearm due to the offense. Now, Circleville residents hoped that with Paul behind bars, the letters would stop, but they did not. Okay. Yep. The Circleville letters continued to haunt the town even after Paul was imprisoned with hundreds of letters still being received, including Paul himself receiving letters from behind bars. Even while he was in solitary confinement. Oh my gosh, that I would just, I, oh, he's going to lose his fucking mind. Yeah. So with Paul incarcerated, the prison warden stated that he couldn't have sent these letters as there was no way he could access pens or paper, raising questions, of course, about the true sender's identity, Uh right? So here we have an individual sitting in a cell without pens, without papers, even at times being in solitary confinement. Letters are still being sent out. In fact, he's even received at least one. Dang. Wow, this poor guy. Yeah. And you know what? I okay, because when you said that he had <clears throat> admitted himself to a hospital, right? Yeah. I was almost thinking, because there was so much evidence you were saying that was pointing to him that he was probably losing his fucking mind and being like, holy shit, like, am I like am I actually doing this? Like that and is a questioning himself, right? Yeah. Questioning like, his own sanity. Yeah. Yeah. So some people may have said it was because he was searching for a plea deal of insanity. He might have actually thought. Maybe I am going nuts here. Like, I don't know if I am writing these yeah. letters, but these people are saying I am. Like, I'm losing my mind here. I need I need help. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it was a literal cry for help or because people were pointing their fingers at him. He was just believing them. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, despite Paul's release that would come. In May of 1994, after serving 10 years. Oh, you're kidding. He still maintained his innocence. He served his time 10 years because he was given wow. 7 to 25. Oh, 10 years of his life. Correct. So he was released on parole after 10 years. Now, the question still remains, was it actually Paul? This also brings up another question. Maybe it was him and he had an accomplice Mm-hmm. Maybe Paul was doing this, but while he was in prison, he had someone helping him from the outside too. Or was it just someone else entirely? One theory regarding Paul suggests that he might um, have had help while in jail, of course, with his motives. Um, sorry, but with his motive, what he was maybe trying to demonstrate loyalty to his wife, Karen. Because, I mean, they were in a rocky relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So the theory says... Karen's brother, Ron, might have known about Mary's affair. This theory basically says that Paul and Karen were covertly attempting to put an end to the affair, although the motives remain speculative, but basically saying that he's trying to show Karen, his wife, with her deteriorating relationship, that I'm a good guy. We're going to fight for a good relationship, even in these other people. Okay. So... Yeah, if that makes any sense. This theory doesn't make sense to me, but that's supposedly what it is. That's why he did it. That he, but then that he didn't actually write the other letters. It was just those ones that he wrote. I don't know. Okay. Like I said, this theory, I don't get it. Yeah. I really don't. 
It's a bit odd. So basically he's like, oh, there's this other affair going on. So through these letters, we're going to try and like make them make up or make things right. Yeah. But that doesn't explain why he's sending letters elsewhere, out where to other people or mm -hmm. maybe the the signs in the road bringing the daughter into it, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, yeah, because that daughter would be his niece. So that's horrible. Exactly. Um, so outside of that one, suspicion also, of course, fell on, as you said earlier, Karen, who had spoke against her ex-husband to the police. And as you had already mentioned, had access to said firearm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, considering their strange marriage and the divorce proceedings that included allegations of abuse. Oh. Yeah. Some speculated that she might have framed Paul out of spite, especially after he gained custody of their children in the separation. Okay. But then it, that, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. She seems sketchy to me, but... Also, I don't think that she would have gone about trying to kill her sister necessarily. Exactly. That brings up the question on why would she put Mary at risk? Yeah. So who's who's to say? I also see, think that Rat, was it Radcliffe? Radcliffe, the like, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know what's happening to my voice there. Yeah, is a little bit sketch as well. Yeah. Well, that the letters were even saying that, hey, he covered something yeah. up with this death, right? Yeah, I think he's he's sketched too. And then Paul is saying that, Hey, he made me duplicate these mm -hmm. letters and is now using that as evidence. Yeah. So there is some shady shit going on, at least shady allegations going on towards them. So who's to know now a crucial lead in the case that it left a lot of people wondering about the true identity involved an eyewitness account from another bus driver working the day that Mary discovered the booby trapped sign. There was, in fact, an eyewitness. Now, this witness reported seeing a yellow El Camino parked at the intersection with a man apparently pretending to urinate who bore absolutely no resemblance to Paul at all. But this just kind of got swept under the rug and nothing ever happened of it. Hmm. So many people think that this stranger driving the yellow El Camino who was pretending to take a piss could have been the individual setting up the sign and could be the letter writer. Okay. But then you would think, I don't know, that that vehicle would be so recognizable though. I in, agree. In town, right? You so. would think in a small town of 14,000 people, you'd be able to pick out a yellow Al Camino yeah. like that. I know for me, I drive an orange pickup truck in a town of 80,000 people. People see me all the oh, fucking yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you regret that life decision? A there? little bit. <laughs> Um, now this man has never been identified. Like I said, it's just kind of been swept under the rug and it's kind of an unresolved piece of the puzzle sort of thing. Now in 1993, when the television show that we all know and love unsolved mysteries delved mm. into the case. Okay. Now the production itself actually became a target of the letter writer receiving a <laughs> chilling anonymous letter directly Seriously. to them. Seriously. Yes. It was ominously signed quote the circleville writer and it said among some of the things quote forget circleville ohio if you come to ohio you l sickos will pay oh my gosh hey eh? yes. now this is actually something I, I didn't draw this connection while i was writing this but i just realized if there is a connection with the el camino and calling them l sickos what do you mean sorry because the yellow car that was seen with oh. the yellow El Camino. I oh, don't, okay. I just drew that connection. I don't even know if there's anything there. Huh. But I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. I just saw it. I have to say this person clearly has way too much time on their hands. Yeah. I think so too. Like this has been going on for years. That's yeah. crazy. Now, during the time when the show was actually filming and they got this letter, Paul had pleaded with the show to investigate the letters further. But not much came out through the investigation. It was just kind of like, oh, there's another letter, just like all the other hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And what do you do? So anyways, it would be the year after that, that Paul would actually be released on parole. And that is the same time that the letters ceased. No one received another one. The signs stopped. Hmm. That's really weird, actually. Yeah. 
So Paul, who consistently denied being the writer, passed away in 2012, maintained his innocence to the very end. In 2021, a forensic examination conducted by CBS, um, the 48 Hours team, brought fresh scrutiny to the case. Former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole, along with forensic document expert Beaverly East, analyzed the letters. While Mary didn't believe Paul's Matt, Paul matched the profile of the controlling and vindictive writer described by the letters, Beverly, sorry, Beverly uh, pointed to the striking similarity in the letter G in Paul's handwriting and how it bore a resemblance to the number six in the Circleville letters, which to me kind of, I don't know, a bit of a stretch. The G looks like a six. Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure if we write two things down, there's going to be some minor similarities like oh, that. Oh, totally. You need something stronger than that to me. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently this rose some suspicion in his potential involvement. Now, this one really gets me. Some of Paul's fingerprints were found on some of the letter writers' letters that were sent out. Really? However, his fingerprints were found on the letters that were sent out while he was incarcerated in prison. What the actual shit? Yeah. So either he was managing to write from prison still. Or he had he had letters that he had already that were saved or whatever. Or ready letters to go already out. written or someone was fabricating them using somehow. I don't know if they were what kind of technology they would have used to duplicate or replicate fingerprints. Who knows? Latex molds or something. But while he was in prison, letters being sent out, some contained his fingerprints. Dang, I thought I had this all figured out, but that's... But I want to throw one more ballpark little curveball in there. Okay. What if it was just paper that Paul had handled and then the letters were written afterwards by someone who, I don't know, lived in the same household? Yeah. What if Paul just happened to, I don't know, fill up the printer paper tray one day and then the wife, while Paul's in prison takes a stack of those papers and starts using them to write letters. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> this case, this literally seems like a real life soap opera to me. Yeah, it really is. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, the police consider the evidence inconclusive. Um, they've closed the investigation on the mystery of the Circleville letters with all these eerie threats that stand in mystery still. And Paul did officially serve time, not for the letters, but for the incident with the pistol. Mm -hmm. um, as for the writer's true identity, though, it may forever be unknown and hmm. remain a mystery. Wow. This one sure is a freaking humdinger and a half. Yeah. My just like <laughs> wheels are turning. It's the mystery of the Circleville letter writer. Huh. Dun, dun, dun. But I, I was also going to say, too, like the chat. The person that was writing them, they just randomly stopped, it seemed. They could have passed away too, right? That's true. But it also could have been that they were specifically trying to coincide with his exiting a prison. Yeah. A, a ploy of some sort. But I mean, that doesn't super make sense because when he's out of prison, it would have been much easier for him to write the letter, to continue writing the letters. True. Than when he was in prison still being able to do it. True. But I mean, he's... Some people are probably going to speculate that he has someone outside helping him write the letters. So he's in prison. He's angry. He's communicating with him. Keep writing the letters. And then when he's out, okay, fuck it. Let's forget about this. Let's get on with life. So maybe it was a ploy of like showing that, he, you know what? Fuck it. He's done. He's over it. It's behind him now. So maybe someone was really trying to paint the picture of that. Yeah, it is Paul. Mm hmm. Hmm. Man. Was this rad? What is his name again? Radcliffe? Yes. Officer Radcliffe. Sheriff Radcliffe, I believe it was. Was Were they investigated at all? I wonder. I Probably not, not as far as I was able to find. No. I kind of looked into it a little bit and I wasn't able to find anything regarding it. Hmm. Wow. I wasn't able to find a lot of information regarding what sort of investigations even really took place okay. at all. Well, they might have just thought, yep, Paul's the guy. Like we got him. Yep. Who knows? 
how much was really done behind the scenes, right? It's always hard to tell. And especially in a case like this where it's like, you say a soap opera, how do you even mm-hmm. keep track of shit like that? It's, at a certain point, it just becomes this mess of what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And to be honest, if I was in this kind of situation, I feel like I would probably um, check into a hospital too. I'd be losing my fucking mind. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, I feel like sometimes I have to do that now. And like, <laughs> there's all that wild shit's not happening. Yeah. Like, holy moly. <laughs> so are you convinced or not convinced that it was Paul? You know, I was pretty convinced that it wasn't Paul, but the fingerprints on the freaking letter are getting me. Okay. How about this? Are Do you think he set up the gun? Letters aside, do you think he did that sign with the gun? No. No. I don't think so either. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Why? But it also doesn't make sense that the sister would do it or his wife or whatever, you know? Yeah. Unless, who knows, maybe, like, sometimes siblings have weird relationships. Maybe she actually hated her sister. Yeah. Who knows? Family, like, sometimes family drama, like, it, it's deep. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> I remember one time when I was about six years old, my sister stole a particularly long French fry from me out of my McDonald's <laughs> Happy Meal. Wow. I, it's upset me to this day, and I am always looking for the opportunity to venge that fry. Oh my gosh. I heard of this numerous times. That is so bizarre. It was the largest McDonald's French fry I had ever had. And I was like, oh my God, this thing's huge. And she's just like, yoink, nabs it out of my hand and shoves it in her mouth. I hate you, Robin. Poor, poor, (laughs) poor you, hey? Yeah, it's bullshit. Oh my gosh. And to this day, you've never found a longer French fry. No, I haven't. I do want to say I don't hate my sister, Robin, but I hate that you did that and I will get vengeance. If you are listening, Robin, <laughs> oh I will. There will come a day where I seek vengeance and I fulfill my destiny on getting you back. Okay, well, on that note, I think Ben maybe needs to go to bed or something. <laughs> Sibling drama is strong and true and the roots go deep, just like you said. <laughs> I know, but now I'm regretting saying that. I'm almost like afraid of my, what have I done to you that you remember? Do you want me to go off? Because I can. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. <laughs> uh, no, what I will go off on, though, is I will go off on you guys and tell you that all of our information is in the description of this podcast. Mm-hmm. You can find Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, you name it, Patreon. It's all down there. You can go ahead and support us in any way you want. If you're here just listening right now, that is incredible. And we so appreciate it. And we will really appreciate tomorrow when you tune in for Halloween week, for Halloween week. Yep. It's going to be awesome. And like I said, we're going to start it off with margaritas tomorrow. So if you want to make a margarita and join us with that, that'd be so cool. I think you should make sure you post on your social media and tag us so we can see your margaritas while you listen. Mm-hmm. to the oh, first episode yeah. of Halloween week. Yeah, do a story or something. We'll share the shit out of those. Hell, That'd be so fun. Yes. Love that idea. Okay, well, we're going to go um, get some sleep because we got a big day of making sure we have everything organized. Our shit together. For Halloween week. So <laughs> let's, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one. And of course, until next time. Until next time. Stay wicked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.